When I look around at the ruins of our society, and I don't think that it's too far of a stretch to say that it's really, in, in many ways, ruins. We have these spiritual walls that are broken down and lewdness of our pride and most of its glory lost. And I ask, why? Why are we here? I really think that the first doorstep that we need to go to is the fathers. We needed more dads to be there and do the right thing in those pivotal moments. And more than anything, we just needed dads to show up, to just be there. Edmund Burke once said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Our text today highlights this very simple principle of filling in the gap, doing the right thing when no one else has stepped up to the plate. Ezekiel's been given a word from the Lord about the state of Israel, and it's not good. It's not pretty. They are a mockery among the nations. Their name has been defiled, and they are full of tumult due to the passivity of good men. And when God looked around to find a faithful man to stand in the breach, to stand in the gap, as the King James says, he found none. There was no man willing to stand there. So I want to speak to fathers today and encourage them to be the man that fills in the gaps of our day. Well, our text again is Ezekiel 22. We're mainly going to look at verse 30, but I'm going to read the whole chapter so that we get a good idea of the context of Ezekiel's day and what he is prophesying against. So we're going to read verses 1 through 31 this morning. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, will you judge, will you judge the bloody city? Then declare to her all her abominations. You shall say, Thus says the Lord God, a city that sheds blood in her midst, so that her time may come, and that makes idols to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood that you have shed, and defiled the idols. That you have made, and you have brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. Those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled. You are full of tumult. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, everyone according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. There are men in you who slander to shed blood and people in you who eat on the mountains. They commit lewdness in your midst and your men uncover their father's nakedness. In you, they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. In you, another violates his sister and his father's daughter. In you, they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me, you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. Behold, I strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. Can, you, or can your courage endure or can your hands be strong in the days that I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries and I will consume your uncleanliness out of you. And you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath and I will put you and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with fire of my wrath and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace, so shall you be melted in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am the Lord. I have poured out my wrath upon you. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets and her mist is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured human lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the clean and the unclean, and they have disregarded my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions, and divining lies for them, saying, Thus does the Lord God, when the Lord is not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before the land, before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. The word of the Lord for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach such a a grim text, a hard word to hear, but a true word, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us clearly through it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to See what your word is for us today. This is Ezekiel's vision speaking to a specific time in Israel, Lord. But we are now a a people that lives in a nation that in many ways resembles many of the things that we have just read. And Lord, we pray before we, we even say anything, before I preach anything, Lord, I pray that you'd have mercy upon me and mercy upon our people. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, especially, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to the fathers as we open up your word and try to apply it to our hearts. I pray that my thoughts, my words, all of it would be pleasing to you. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, Jeremiah, another prophet, speaks about the prophets who dress the wounds of the people by saying, you've heard it before, peace, peace, when there is no peace. He says they've gotten to the point where they no longer have shame for their state and they don't know how to blush. They're not even embarrassed for the things that they do anymore. So on this Father's Day, I don't want to miss an opportunity to properly dress a wound, a wound that we have in our society. Ezekiel says in verse 30, there's a breach in the wall. Many of you are reading from the King James says there's a gap in the wall. And that gap, I think that we could read as a symbol of a societal wound, a wound that needs dressed and addressed. 
And the false prophet would say, it's fine. Don't worry about talking about that. It's on. It's Father's Day. Can't we just talk about how fathers have been so good? We've, we've, we had so many fathers do such great things. Let's just celebrate how well the fathers have led this nation. Well, the problem is, is that I believe that our current gap is largely due to the fact that fathers haven't been there in the pivotal moments. That they've had their backs padded when they actually should have said, come on, boy, you, you need to step it up. You need to be doing the right thing at the right time because those, those moments of wounds where there's that gap, that's the time that's most important, where we really need to stand up. We have father wounds that need to be repaired. So with that said, I'd like to speak to the fathers this morning and answer three things. What do fathers need to be doing in times like these? And I think you understand what I mean when I say times like these. What do fathers need to be doing in times like these? When do they need to do it? Number three, how do they need to do it? Or by what power are they going to do that? And before I answer these, I just want to point out one last preliminary remark and say that this prophecy was given to a specific person, Ezekiel, to a specific people, Israel, at a specific time, around the 6th century B.C. So with that said, I want to realize that it's not directly speaking to us But it does have implications for us, doesn't it? God's word is applicable throughout all time. Paul says in in, uh, 2 Timothy that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for us. So with these principles, I want to be able to apply some solutions to us today so that we might be able to see how fathers need to react to times like these. So let's begin. What do fathers need to do today in this moment, in this country, in this city even, very specifically? I've told I've been told before that your dad is awesome. I don't know how many times. Actually, this morning, someone told me you have a great dad, right? I, I have a fantastic father, and I've racked my brain for years to try to locate the awesome um, awesomeness. What is it about my dad that makes him so great? Because I'm a father, I, I look at my dad and I think he is great. He is a great father. But what is it about my dad that is so awesome that everyone is trying to say it's that thing about it? And you can go through this long list of qualities, and my dad does have a a great list of qualities. But I think that there's really just one thing that it boils down to that makes my dad an awesome dad. And that is that he is present. My dad is there. He's there in the moments when you need him, and he was there to so many people when they needed him. It's specifically a lot of my friends that have told, told me this over the years. Your dad's awesome. And it's because my dad was being a dad to those kids all through their childhood. Now, they might have had great dads. Many of them did. But what they recognized is that my dad wasn't just a father to me. He was a father to others. He, he was there. He was present with them. And when I was going fishing with my dad, he was bringing other little boys with us, too. Because he was loving them. He was caring for them. He was actually dressing many of the wounds that those little boys had. It's the same way with, with even little girls and all kinds of people. My dad has cared for widows over the years, for, for the sojourner. He's, he's helped people on the side of the road, things like that. And it's just because dad was there in the moment when someone needed him. He was a present dad. And that's what I believe that fathers need to do today. I don't want to glorify my dad and say that he, he, is, he is the perfect image. But the reality is, is that dad is filling a role that I believe that this text really speaks to. In verse 31, it has this idea of filling the gap. There being a breach in the wall. And fathers, what I want to tell you this morning, what you need to do to be a good father is simply to be present. This is something that fathers actually struggle with a lot. is just being present with your kids around you and the people that are around you. And there's a kind of presence that we need to have in society and in our families. And that is an honoring presence. 
an honoring presence. We see this in verse 7. If you look at this whole chapter, this is kind of like the flip side of what a father should be. This is what happens when fathers don't do everything right. We're going to have to read this kind of upside down in many ways because Israel is being judged because they haven't done what they should be doing. So you read in verse 7 things like, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. This is Ezekiel and through Ezekiel, God's judgment on Israel because fathers and mothers aren't honored. And when our nation degrades fathers and mothers and and pride cuts at the institution of marriage, we can't expect anything other than the judgment that Israel had. Where are the fathers when our nation is saying that we need to celebrate everything but fatherhood, everything but a happy marriage? And the distortions of marriage, they're praising those things. Where are the fathers right now? This is our moment. This is when we need to speak up. The sojourners in the land, are the fathers helping integrate them or do they just use their cheap labor because we know that they're here illegally and we can use them cheap la- for cheap labor and no one's going to say anything? Right? Are, we, are we taking advantage of people like that? What are fathers doing in times like these when we have just messy situations? Are the fathers taking charge and acting responsibly with messy situations? The fatherless and the widow, are the fathers taking punk kids, I refer to them as punk kids because this is the way that fathers a lot of times speak about these kids. Are they taking the punk kids under their wings? Are they just complaining about them, corrupting their kids and getting on their lawns and doing all kinds of stuff? Are, Are they just trying to catch them and get them locked up so they don't have to worry about them anymore? Are they being fathers to those people? Because that's what they need, isn't it? Those are wounds when they're acting out like that. Those are father wounds primarily. How are the fathers acting in light of that? Are they caring for the fatherless? Are they caring for the widows? When your sons and your daughters have friends with father wounds, do you try to keep your kids away from them? Keep them uh, untainted by their their bad behavior? Or are you inviting them to come along with you, showing them by example how you be a good father? What a good, healthy family looks like. We need to be those kind of fathers. And do you have time for the widows, fathers? I know you have families, But the word of God calls us to have a heart that is fathering not just our small little unit. Three kids is enough. I understand that. I have have three of my own. And it's easy for me to say, well, I don't have time for them. I don't have time for the other fatherless. I don't have time for the widows. But the word of God calls men to this. This is how society actually sticks together. Those people don't need the government to step in. They need brothers and sisters in Christ to be there for them in those moments. What about the holy things? And Sabbaths, verse 8, it says, You've despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. Are you sending your family off to church while you stay at home on the Lord's Day? Many fathers are doing that this morning. I don't say that to shame them. I say that to to kind of get them to wake up. Why, Why aren't you honoring the Lord's Day? In your words and in your speech, many of them would. They would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian man of God. Well, how do you show it? Are you worshiping? Are you actually giving worth and glory to God that you you profess to praise, you profess to honor? Why aren't you showing up with your families on the Lord's Day? Why are you sending your wife and kids off? Why do you think they need help, but you don't? Do you despise attending worship? I know these are hard questions. It's easier for many of the fathers who are here, right? Because we say, well, I I made it here. I heard the sermon. But the reality is is that we need to hold other fathers to this standard too. There's a responsibility for us to, to love our brothers, 
to love the other fathers, uh, to go and call them to this, to, to disciple, to be the kind of men that are actually calling all people to do this, not just patting ourselves on the ba- our, our backs where we actually get to check the box as we go down through this list. So we need this honoring presence in society, but we also need it in our family, in our family, honoring women. Look at verse 10 and 11. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. And you, they take bribes to shed blood. And you, and you take interest and profit and make gain for your neighbors by extortion. But me, you have forgotten, declares the Lord. Another way that men can be good fathers is to actually love their wives and their kids by staying faithful to them. Not running around. We live in a society now that that's acceptable. You can go off and sleep around with who you want as long as you keep it secret enough. And what they don't know won't hurt them. That's what many people think. There's men that actually think that that's all right. As long as they don't know, then they're fine. Is that upholding marriage? Is that upholding the faithfulness to your God? Is that upholding what the true values of America have historically been? No. Not at all. So we need to honor women. We need to honor our children. How do we do this? There's two ways that I think are really helpful in the way that we honor our children, and that's by our approval and our encouragement. Your your kids need to know that you affirm them and that you're fighting for them, and one of the ways you do that is being just faithful, to be present around them, being there when they have needs. Do they see an honorable father that is stepping in and encouraging them in their shortcomings even? Where they've fallen and, and fallen down and they have a wound, it might even be a physical wound, they've fallen on their bike, they keep wrecking and they can't get it right. Are you the kind of father that comes alongside and says, it's all right, buddy, you're going to get it. I'm here with you. I'm going to hold your hand through you through this and I'm going to help you through this wound. We need to be present fathers in such times. And those times are very pivotal moments, aren't they? When children, fatherless and widows, they're hurting, that is the time for us to step in. And this encouragement brings me to our next point. Verse 14 talks about courage. I want to talk about courage for a second and having a, a presence of courage or a courageous presence. Verse 14 says kind of the, the reverse of this. It says, can your courage endure or can your hands be strong in the day that I shall deal with you? Now here God's saying that no amount of courage or human strength can endure if God has chosen to judge you. In other words, fathers, if you think that you got this on your own and you've forgotten God, good luck. You, you can't make it. You will not stand. You will fall. If you think that you can run your family, your society, your business, whatever it is, and forget God, you're going to fall. You're going to be judged just like Israel in Ezekiel's day. But men who honor God and acknowledge his ways, he actually uses courage to rebuild the ruins. He uses courageous men. It says in verse 30, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. We need courageous fathers to speak out against the abominations. And when they do, their prophetic voice, when they stand before God for their people, they, they will actually, that judgment will actually be the, the, the prophecy against uh, those people, and God will act on his behalf, on their behalf. There's a, there's a way in which fathers, men, can actually be mediators for our people, for our families. We are called to reflect that in Jesus. Jesus is our mediator, and he calls us to do the same kind of thing through our headship over our families. 
Notice that this man in the text in verse 30 is standing before God for the land. Right? So he is standing as a mediator, a sacrificial person. Uh, we need a man like Abraham who would have the boldness to stand in the gap for his nephew. Think about that. Lots in the city that is doing all kinds of things, kinds of things that we see in Evansville, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's really not that far off. And God says, I'm against that. I'm going to rain fire down from heaven. And what does Abraham do? He says, no, no, no. My family's there. You can't do that. My family's there. We need to be the kind of men who see the gap, see that God will judge the gap, and stand in that gap and say, God, no, no, no. Please have mercy on us. We repent. I want to be the man that says, I'm sorry, even if I haven't participated. Abraham didn't do any of that stuff. And yet he's still willing to go there and to stand in the gap for his nephew Lot. Why? Because he's a good father. He loves Lot. He didn't even have any kids of his own at this time. And yet Abraham is acting as a father before he ever even became a father to his nephew Lot. What a courageous man. I want to be a kind of father like that. And I want you fathers to be that kind of father. So how are you standing in the gap for your family, for your country, for your city? Number two, when do we fathers need to do it? And the it, I mean, stand in the gap, be present. When do we need to do this? Well, the obvious answer is whenever the gap is present. But being able to identify a gap is crucial here. We need to know where the gap is at. You need to be able to see the breach and the wall. And most gaps, they're not physical, are they? There's not a physical wall broken down. Many times it's a spiritual gap. It's an emotional gap, a psychological gap. And men, we have a particularly hard problem seeing these kind of things, don't we? We're we're the kind of people that what we see is what you get, right? Those are the kind of things we say, right? We're all about just what's there is there. But we have a hard time seeing past the complexity of, or past the, the simplicity, simplicity to the complexity. We look at our wives and we say, I'll never understand that. I don't get them. I don't get women. Right? But the reality is, is you're called to get women. You're called to love them and to cherish them and to care for them. So we have no problem jumping in to, to save a drowning woman or a child, right? Because that's obviously a need. We have no problem saying, I'll step in and take a bullet for them. But what about the, the proverbial? bullet? What about the spiritual bullet? What about the things that are targeting your family to take them out? Are you seeing those things? Do you have the kind of vision that is able to, to lock in and say, there's a hole in the wall, and if someone doesn't stand in, we're going to get hurt. My family's going to get hurt. So life is comprised of more than bare physical necessities, and if we think that just providing food for our families, physical food is all we need to do, we're really missing the mark. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is we as Americans, have we've, we've told ourselves that if we just care for our families by putting food on the table, we've done our duty. That's all we need to do. We work hard. We're not present with our families. We, we go and work at this job where we're gone all the time, and we just send money back, and we put food on the table, and you're done. That's all that fathers have to do. But no, we need to be there for our wives. We need to be present at the dinner table to eat that food with our family because that, that empty seat, that's a wound. It's not just an empty plate that's a wound. It's an empty seat that is a wound. So most gaps, they fall under this spiritual, emotional, and psychological category. And as fathers, we must learn to see beyond the bare necessities. While we may be able to live lives like Baloo, I don't know if that brought that uh, 
that image to you. The, the bare necessities. You remember the song from the Jungle Book? He, he lives his life basically by himself. He's not providing for other people. Life is simple. All he has to do is just find food where it comes. But the reality is, is that life is more complex than that when you're a father. Because you're providing for more people than yourself. You're looking out for others. You're seeing the difficult situations, and you're able to look at that with nuance and figure out how to respond. We need to be able to see the gap in our families. Are they emotionally wounded by your coarse behavior? The way that you act around them? Maybe you are actually causing the gap. Can you see that when you're acting that way with your family? Are they spiritually bleeding because you've not protected them from the invisible but very real powers lurking around them? The powers, principalities that Paul talks about, the rulers, they're out there. They're coming after your family. Have your kids adopted divergent beliefs that you're repulsed at them? You look at it and you think, I hate that. How are you reacting to that, fathers? Are you just griping about it? Are you telling your kids that they're, they're dumb for thinking that? And how could you believe that? I raised you better than that. Or are you actually loving them through that? Being present with them? Showing them a better model? Giving them a, a better alternative? Teaching them? Raising them in the nurture and admonition of, of the Lord? Because that's what we're called to do. Not just get grumpy about things not going our way. We need to be able to see these gaps. Address it. And the way that we do this is presence. Presence, presence, presence. Just being there many, many times speaks louder than a word. Beating your kids over your, the, their head with what you think isn't always actually the best thing. Because that's what many people do. They, they father by, just by yelling at their kids, this is not what I want you to do, and then they leave. But that's not actually what shapes children the most. That's not what shapes anyone. We've got to remember that we're not just being fathers to our kids. We're being fathers to the fatherless. Those who are around us, the widows, the sojourners, the, the, the whole society. This text applies in so many ways. It's not just parenting. It's life. It's across the board. So fathers, ask yourself, is there a psychological gap that's harder to see, but really there? Right? When, you're, when you're in your, your context of whatever it might be, uh, an example that a pastor that I, I like a lot that talks about these kind of things, he uses the example of when you're at family get-togethers, where you hardly ever see these people, and your kids, are you looking at them the, the way that they interact with others? Do your little girls, for instance, are they hopping up on the laps of your distant uncle that they hardly ever see, and are they way more comfortable hopping up on his lap because he'll love them, he'll accept them, than your own? Right? We need to be able to see these kind of things. They're hard to see. Moms see them a lot better than dads do many times. But dads need to have this kind of vision, too, where they can say, why isn't she on my lap? Well, it might be because every time she hops on your lap, you push her off because you're in a conversation that's above them. You just want to talk about whatever you're talking about, right? These are hard sayings. I realize that because I'm a dad. I struggle with these things. But this is what we need to hear as fathers. We need to be able to wake up and not just see that everything's always fine. Because that's many ways That's many ways that men and fathers live. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. No, we need to worry about it a little bit. We need to be called to the moment of the wound. Because it's a wound, because it's a breach, it must be cared for or else it's only going to get worse. That gap needs filled, and if you don't fill it, either someone's going to infiltrate or someone else is going to fill in for you. And you don't want to be the dad that has someone else filling in that gap for you, right? You don't want to be the kind of father that someone else is loving your kid better than you are. You want to be that faithful dad. You want to be there for them. So develop eyes to see the kind of gaps, not just empty dinner plates, but empty chairs too. 
Empty all kind of things. All the gaps. We need to be able to see that they need more than just physical food. They need spiritual food on their table. Your kids need to eat spiritually. And it's your job as fathers to lead them in that. You are the head of your household. That's the way that scripture speaks about it. It is in your lap to spiritually feed your children. That's your charge, men. Now some cautions as we do this. It's easy for us to go down this long list. I know it's quite the list. It can feel like we're really getting beat up now. I feel it too because I'm a dad and I struggle with these same things. But we need to be careful that we don't whitewall this issue or any of the issues. This is what they did in verse 28. This is what the prophets were trying to do. What does verse 28 say? It says, And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus does the Lord God. When the Lord has not spoken. Now, how do we read this into our current context? Well, this is the moment to own your gap. Right? That's, that's how we see this. We don't want to whitewash, whitewash the issues and say, well, that's not really my problem. That's more of their problem. No, we need to see that there's a gap, see that there's a wound, and actually address it. Take care of it. Don't deny it. It's easy to deny that we have a problem, isn't it? That's the easiest response to a problem is to say it's not a problem. I don't have a problem. I don't need to work on that. But no, we need to have faithfulness as fathers to actually see the gap and respond accordingly. So don't make excuses to to yourself or to others why you haven't been present like you could be. We could all be more present. So let's just own it. Also, don't talk yourself out of it by assuming that someone else will do it or could do it, that it's not your job. If you see the gap and it's there and, and someone else sees it especially. That's, that's two people there. If there's a, a common known gap, problem in society, whatever it might be, even in your family, don't say, well, that's not really my job. I don't want to step in. I don't want to get involved. That is the way that things most often fall apart. So don't tell yourself if you're in a church, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I, I can't say anything about that. that. That's the pastor's job. No. The fatherly job is to say, no, my kids sit under your preaching. My kids sit under that, and they're being affected by that, and I won't stand for it. Your kids in school, the things that they're being taught, even your grandkids. I I would go that far and say, grandparents, I think that you have a right to be able to speak to your local schools what they are teaching your grandchildren, to go and show up and say, I'm not going to have that. These are my kids. I care for them. I love them. It doesn't matter if you're on the school board or not. You can show up to those meetings. Right? It does not matter who you are. Your government, you can't say, well, I'm not a representative, I'm not a senator, I'm not whatever. No. Call up those people. Say, no, I'm not going to stand for it. Say, I'm not going to do it. That's how we fill the gap. When no one else is doing it, the text says, I looked for a man. God says, I looked around. Everything's crumbling. But there's a hole in the wall, and no one would do it. So we don't need to be able to tell ourselves, well, it wasn't my job. Because the Lord's looking for people to fill that role, to fill that gap, even if they're not specifically called to it in an ordained office or an elected office or whatever it might be. It's our job to be the fathers, to be the men that will step up and be that kind of man. Now, number three, how in the world do fathers do this? I beat you over the head. I realize that. How are we supposed to do these things? It's hard. It really is hard. By what means are we going to actually be the fathers that God is calling us to be? Let's read verse 12. Verse 12 says this. 
And you, they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. Here's the part that I want you to catch. But me, you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. Our problem most of the time is that when we're trying to be the present fathers that we need to be, when we're trying to just be the fathers that we need to be, we think that we can do it on our own. We've forgotten God. We think that we have the power within ourselves to do all these things that God says, we need a man to do this. Just because God has said, I need a man to do this, doesn't mean that there is a man capable of doing it out there by himself. That's one of the interesting things about scripture. God calls men to do all these kind of things that they don't have the power to do. And what he's calling is men to have faith, to partner with God, and to do that, to to step into that role. So this task becomes overwhelming if we're trying to tackle it on our own. We as fathers, we can fall into forgetfulness, and we also fall into the lie that we can do anything. And those two things are recipes for disaster. Thinking that you can do it and then forgetting God in the process. It will set you up for the exact same judgment that Ezekiel judged Israel with. And that's in many ways where we find ourselves today in our nation. Didn't many of those things sound like the things that we're doing today? We, we are killing people. We're not honoring our fathers or mothers. We don't honor marriage. We're taking advantage of others. We're, we're living <clears throat> lives, lives that are not embarrassed of our sins, all kinds of adultery, all kinds of sexual immorality. It is a mess. And in many ways, it's because we won't own it. And we've forgotten God. Very simple things. We need help. We will forget And outside forces will breach our fatherly walls if we don't remember God. And that will leave an opportunity for you to stand up, someone else to fill that gap, or the outside forces to actually come in and just wreak havoc. There's really only three options to the gap. Someone else is going to fill it, you'll fill it, or they're going to come in and just crash down the whole wall. There is no other option. So what are some practical ways that we can remain present fathers in this Grim situation. Well, number one, by the help of your biological families, the people that God has gifted to you to love you and help you through this. Fathers, allow your wife to speak to the gaps in your life. You have them. You have them, fathers. It might even came to you in a realization where you got a nudge as we went through this sermon. Right? That nudge actually might be what you need. And for you to whitewash that, whitewash that nudge might actually be sin for you. It might be a problem that you really need to act on and your wife is trying to love you through this to help you to be a better father because she's for you. She's not against you. Be the father that is able to take help from his wife. I've said it before. Be helped, not agitated. Right? God has given you a wife. He's given you a family to love you and to help you, a helper fit for you, to actually help you be the man that you need to be, the father that you need to be. So there's your wives. What about your kids? Fathers, when your kids ask you to do that stupid thing, and yes, it probably is stupid, but it might actually be what you both need, right? When your kid asks you to do that really ridiculous thing, they just want to have fun, and the reality is, is you probably need to lighten up a bit, right? So just do the stupid thing. Be present with your kids. Respond to your kids, because God has, in many ways, inspired them to help you, too. It's not just uh, your wives helping. Your, Your kids actually help you, too. They're a gift to you. They are a blessing to you. Let let yourself be blessed by your kids. Join in in the ridiculousness. It's good for you. Now, we do this by the help of our biological families. We do it by the help of our spiritual families. Fathers, you need to find a community of dads 
that are going to help you do these things because you can't do it on your own. We need the church. We need small groups. We need all kinds of ways for men to be praying with us and we praying for other men as well, where you can share your gaps in your life, where you can have another man look at you and say, man, I don't think you're hitting it here. I think that you could you could be better than that because I know you. I know your heart. I know that you love your kids. What do you think about trying this? Or you can be that man to speak into someone else's life and say, you know what? I'd like to pray for you through this. And, and don't take this personally. I'm not trying to, to be mean or anything here. But I know you're a good man. But I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this gap in your life. Speak prophetically into someone's life and, and say it. Point it out. Be the man that's willing to kind of step on some toes because that's what men need. We really do need a little bit of pushback in our lives. We're not as awesome as we think we are. So we do it by the help of our spiritual families, our biological families, and lastly, by the help of our heavenly family. Right? This is the one that we can't miss. This is, this is the, the forgetting God. If you miss this, you miss the whole thing. Why? Because the biggest gap ever filled was the gap between God and man. That gap. God looked around and he says, no one's going to fill this one. It can't be. There was only one who could step into that gap, and it was the Son. It was the Son of the Father to step in there. And we often forget that that, that, that part of the atonement, that act of God becoming one with man, was an inherently fatherly act. Why? Because he was adopting kids through that. That's how he became our father. He adopted us as children to where we can be sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And without the love of the heavenly father sending the son to be present with us, we would have never had this breach filled for us. God so loved the world that he became a father. He loved us in that way. And that's what transforms us and transforms the world. That's what it means to live into the power of the gospel to be a gospel-centered parent, to be a gospel-centered father, to be the kind of man that God is calling you to be. When no one else could stand in that gap to save people, God did it by sending his son. He says, you guys aren't going to do it. Man will never do it. This gap will never get fixed. Here I am. I'm sending my son. So fathers, if you're going to be the father that you need to be to those around you, you need to first soften your heart. Receive that love of a father. That no one else can offer you in the same way that your God can. Your, your heavenly Father can. You need to receive that. And it's by this fatherly care that you'll learn to be the fathers that you need to be as well. He is the perfect image of the present Father. He is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the, the ultimate picture. You can't find a better present Father. I refer to my dad at the beginning. He falls so short of God. He might be a great man. Many of you know him, but he is not God. And he cannot, he cannot even show me what the, the true love of that perfect heavenly father looks like. Only my heavenly father can. And only your heavenly father can show you that kind of love. Romans 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Hear that, Father. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You can't be a good father until you learn how to be a good son. And a good son knows how to cry, Abba, Father. Amen? Let's pray.